1: Today's guest I actually found via a photo on social media. It was on Instagram. She had modeled for NYX, someone that I, a brand I am very close to, and I was blown away at this image. I immediately followed this woman because she looked absolutely stunning with a floral robotic leg, and I immediately had to find out more about her. Not soon after that, she ended up emailing me and telling me a little bit more about her story. And that's when I knew exactly that she had to come on here and talk to all of us. Krista Couture is an award-winning performing and recording artist, nonfiction writer and broadcaster. She's also proudly indigenous, mixed Cree and Scandinavian, queer, disabled, and a mom. But she is also an expert in loss. She sings and speaks and writes about the childhood cancer that led to the amputation of her left leg abortion, and the tragic deaths of her two infant sons. She is now a mother to a little girl as well, and has had her photos go viral more than once. Being somebody who is an expert in loss, there's also, you know, the -the run-of-the-mill type of loss. There is divorce. There is body change. And now she's out with a new book called How to Lose Everything. I'm really excited to bring her on today and have you all get to know her as well. Please welcome Krista. All right. Hi, Krista. Thanks so much for coming on today. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. You like wrote me this email and I read it and it was just, I couldn't believe the amount of things that you even could encompass within an email of your life. And then because I found you just on social media, I was like, oh, I love her flower. Like, like, I was just like, I love your floral, leg." And I immediately was like, oh, I just need to follow her because that's just really cool. I had no idea the depths of you and your story. And as I just Googled your name, the amount of articles came up and I was like, wait, what? And as I just said to you before we started recording, I had to stop myself because I was like, I I, I want you to tell me. I want you to share with us. I don't want to read it in an article. I want to hear it from you. So kind of give us that. I know it's so much, but give us that origin story, give us kind of like the encompassing story to the most that we can within these minutes that we share together about yourself and this book on how to lose everything. I just think that that is such a powerful title and curious minds want to know. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, it's funny. I think sometimes
2: people find out one thing about me, like they find the flower leg and they're like amazing. And they're like, oh, you're a cancer survivor. Okay. That's a great story. Or some people only know about some of my other losses in particular, the loss of my two sons. And -hmm. then they find out later that I only have one leg (laughs) or whatever it is. There's sort of like different, different ways into the stories that I share. And so when I wrote this book, How to Lose Everything, it is a memoir. Originally, it was going to be just about my sons. That was my idea Mm -hmm. that I wanted to write a book about about the loss of, of two of my children. And then in kind of through conversations actually with my, my agent, she was like, for sure you can write that. She was like, you should really think about if it's going to be, will that be too much for you as a writer? Mm. How, are you going to be able to do that? And also like when you're writing a book, you know, it's not journaling, you are crafting something. You're making a piece of art to share and put out into the world. And, and so what will be a story that's not too much for the reader as well. You know, you never know where you find a reader and what's going to be too much for them. But, and then she was like, you know, you have all these other experiences, like from what I know about you that are kind of extraordinary. And why don't we zoom out and maybe there's something there. And so I started to think about what I call my grief bio, which ultimately Mm. became the like outline for this book. It was like the book proposal. And my grief bio is cancer, amputation, death death divorce and more cancer you know i think we all we could probably all look at our life and mark those chapters of those those yeah. big moments those major transitions those big losses mm-hmm. and those are and those are mine and so each each chapter in the book tells a different experience of loss that i've had so having bone cancer as a kid amputation of my leg uh, above the knee when i was 13 which was the cure for that cancer which is i mean i was incredibly lucky i survived that there was a cure. Many people don't have that. And it was a loss and changed my life, of mm-hmm. course, dramatically. And then the death of my first son, the death of my second son, and then my marriage ending after that. And then kind of picking up the pieces, moving across the country and trying to start over, you know, after mm-hmm. all of that. And so I call it How to Lose Everything. You know, it's not it's not a guidebook, really. <laughs> um, but the idea was that I could either, you know, show you, what I know about loss or what I've experienced, so that it's either an insight into something you don't know much about, or mm-hmm. if you yourself are in that you know dark, hard place which you have been or you will be, or you know you are, that this could be some some friendship there, maybe some kinship, a, a, a note that you're you're not alone.
1: Yeah, I, and I love that you say that. I love that you bring it down kind of to that. I would hope that nobody can relate to your story. To be honest, I, I would hope that nobody has that much loss to have to go through. Because I think when I hear all of this, it all sounds so unsurvivable. I remember going through through divorce and feeling like I was not going to survive it. Quite honestly, I'm going to get emotional through this. I'm yeah. still postpartum. Let's be real. Yeah, dude. <laughs> but these unsurvivable moments, these things that, and I I deal with um, what I call catastrophizing or or catastrophic thinking where I feel like the loss of a child or a loss of my spouse or a loss of certain things would be so, I don't know how you go on. And, and I sit here and I have conversation with you and you have done that five times over. You have continued on. And it brings me back to this real place of everything kind of is survivable but it's not without that grief and it's not without that proper processing. And I, and I think when we talk about grief, it's often like somebody has to be gone for that to happen. And I've realized, you know what? I've grieved my body. I've grieved my life. I've grieved change. I grief is the process in which we go through how, when you look at grief now, how is it something that because I feel like oftentimes when we talk about grief, we also bring in the steps of it. And it's like something that would just end. And like you said, like how your agent was kind of like warning you, would you be able to write a book about the loss of your two Your one was a newborn? One was 14 months. Did I get that right? Yep. Yep. That's massive. Like bringing back into that, you can't just be like, well, I've grieved. I've processed. I'm through it now. That's not exactly how it works. So how would you say what has grief done for you? And, you know, where do you sit with grief now? And some of these things that it's not living past, it's living with.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly it. I mean, I think there's some forms of grief that run their course, you know, when I've not got a certain job that I really had my heart set mm. on, you know, or lost a job or, or lost, you know, some potential. There's, there's some grief that you, I think you can kind of process and then remember.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: I think absolutely there's grief that, that will never go away. And it might change shape and how it affects your day might change. But absolutely, I think a book just about my sons would have been too much for me. And the way that I approached it with this book, you know, I couldn't have written this book any sooner in my life. I had to be at a point where I could look back at it. It had to
1: be, Mm.
2: these stories had to be in the past. And for me, um, having my daughter, um, who's now three and a half, I mean, as you know, kids like ground you right in the present. <laughs> There's <they> nothing ever? <laughs> more present moment than a baby. And it was just also it kind of with her birth, it signified that enough had changed in my life, enough other things had happened that I could look back and tell these stories. I was also very, very intentional and very careful about how I wanted to share them. I mean, I wanted the book to be vulnerable and it is, and I wanted to mm. reveal you know, truly what I was going through, but I also was really considered about where my boundary was with that. So there's lots that I didn't say, and there's lots that I didn't tell because I had to, I had to be comfortable with what I was putting out there. And so I found that, you know, that line for me, I mean, I hope with the book, I'm kind of just holding up these stories and saying, here, you can look at this. You don't have to touch it. <laughs> I'm not going to drop it on your lap. Like I'm kind yes. of trying to hold, guide people through it and like, you know, show them something, but not like leave you with them a big mess. But, you know, and I talk about this book and I talk about my grief bio and I laugh or I make jokes, but it's not at all to diminish how incredibly difficult those losses were mm-hmm. and are still you know mm-hmm. not in the daily way that it was in the first few years you know in the ways that it would feel like I couldn't breathe that I couldn't get out of bed that I couldn't be awake that it just hurt to be awake I'd wake up mm-hmm. in the morning and think you fuck I don't know if I can swear on your podcast you can be yeah you can swear on the podcast great you know you wake up you just think like, not a fucking another day I can't I can't yeah. do it. it hurt too too much and then time slowly passes and some other things come in. I think what's really important to me to share is that, you know, sometimes people think, oh, like what, you have so much strength, you're so resilient. Um, there's a part in the book where I talk about my therapist saying resilience sucks and not that, I mean, it's, it's valuable to be resilient, but you don't find out you're resilient unless you suffer.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like you
2: will find out your capacity when hard shit happens. Um, And there's also no shame in not being resilient. I think we sort of, Mm -hmm. we make it this, you know, champion virtue, but it's also okay if you can't handle things. (laughs) And so I was, I was really lucky though, that I had, you know, community and family and resources to have a therapist and people who brought me food and I was always housed. And, and these are things that are, you know, part of just like my social location and, and that, that supported me. And so, it's not just me, it's not just me that got through it, you know, like mm-hmm. it was it was all of the care I received. it was the resources I had, you know, some of that is luck, yeah, but there were days, there were months, there were years where it, I thought it might be too much, and it comes back sometimes in moments i mean it's it doesn't overwhelm me, really anymore, but like on their birthdays yeah. or their anniversaries of their deaths, you know. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll feel it a few days beforehand. I'll feel kind of uneasy, and I'll be irritable, and I think, "What's going on?" And I'll, I'll oh, right, <laughs> this anniversary is coming, and it, my body knows it. My body can feel it, mm-hmm. and and I know, you know, to take those days easy. And some days, those days, I still just cry and cry and cry. And I will always, always
1: mm-hmm.
2: miss them. I will always, always, always wish that it was different. Um, yes. But enough time has passed that it kind of, like you said, you you live with it. You integrate it. You know, I, I sometimes talk about grief in ways that it's similar to disability. Like I only have one leg, so I wear a prosthetic leg. It works okay. Some days it doesn't fit yeah. and it hurts. <laughs> yeah. But I can get around and I've adapted. There's plenty of things I can't do that I did on two legs, but it's okay. Like it's, I've changed and I've changed with it. And I think when you're living with grief, you know, or even high anxiety or like just these other things that take up our emotional space and and we feel in our bodies, you just figure out how to
1: kind of accommodate it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's honestly such an amazing analogy. And and a way of, I think that we can all kind of put ourselves in that position where, yeah, there is those, there is those changes and those discomforts, but you do kind of move forward with them. Not to say that grief is a discomfort, but in the sense that it can really, yeah. Like, I just think that that related really, really well. Today's conversation would not be possible without today's sponsor. So this episode has been sponsored by Dipsy. So many of us need to unwind after a long day. I just had a long day, a lot of zoom calls, a lot of deadlines, and I'm constantly looking for new self-care ideas. Or maybe you're just looking for a way to get out of a funk, start feeling like yourself again, reset and reconnect with yourself with Dipsy. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. Each Dipsy story features characters that feel like real people and immersive scenarios, so you feel like you're right there. You can find all sorts of different stories, like an off-limits hookup with your professor or a costume party that takes things to the next level, or maybe a story where your partner tells you exactly what to do, or you try a new toy together. They release new stories every week, so there's always more to explore no matter who you're into or what turns you on. Dipsy also has wellness sessions to help you learn more about yourself and bedtime stories and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off. And for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash papaya. That's a 30-day free trial, 30 nights to try it out, give yourself a chance to reconnect, rest, whatever you end up getting out of Dipsy. That's D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash papaya. One more time, Dipsy stories.com slash papaya.
0: From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the host of Work Party, a podcast for ambitious women looking to create and cultivate the career of their dreams. Work Party is paving the way for a new generation of women, women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. Every Wednesday, we bring in leading female powerhouses for real talk and BS-free advice on building your business you'll hear from female founders, CEOs, entrepreneurs, creatives, and so many other badass ladies. Are you ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Then tune into Work Party, the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show and never miss an episode.
1: But now having a daughter, this is, this is where I get I struggle a lot is, and and I'm not, I always do this. I try and minimize my own experiences. Don't, don't do it. Because somebody has a big one, okay. <laughs> but oftentimes, so for instance, divorce to remarriage, yeah. I often will feel like I don't deserve it or I feel like something bad is going to happen. So I'll self-sabotage sometimes. Oftentimes I just panic and I feel so alone in it. When I got pregnant with my daughter, almost the entire pregnancy, I was terrified. I had a lot of fear. I felt like I didn't deserve a blessed life. And because I had something so vulnerable that was out of my control, surely this would be the thing taken from me. Mm. And I fell into a deep depression. Now that's me saying from, you know, feeling like I, I struggled in life to feeling in a good place for you. You went from loss to life. How was your pregnancy into delivery and having a child, like, because I deal with such catastrophic thinking and you've actually had the catastrophes happen. How have you been? Like, how have you been having a, having a third child and watching her in all that vulnerability and all of that uncontrollable um, factors that is parenting? How has that been for you? (laughs) Doozy. I
2: mean, oh, I feel you describing that and, and you know, that that struggling to feel like you deserve it, which is heartbreaking to hear, but it's so honest, right? Like that's so mm. real. And I think a lot of people feel that sometimes. Like if we have chosen certain paths or been dealt crummy hands and that we think we don't deserve something better. And of course we do, of course we do. Ah, oh, you know, for me to even be ready to try to have her was it was a it took a long time because. Mm. Because there's, you know, getting pregnant is one hurdle. Um, staying pregnant is one <laughs> hurdle. Yes. Carrying to full term, having a live birth, you know, the, the best case scenario when I thought about getting pregnant, you know, trying to get pregnant, the best case scenario would be bringing home, you know, healthy full term baby. And that's not that's not a guarantee, but, you know, much less yeah. trying to get pregnant in the first place. So there's all these things. And I I knew that to try meant being open to loss, that I had mm-hmm. to be willing to, to grieve again, if I was going to open up myself to the possibility or the hope of, of parenting and getting pregnant, that would mean opening myself up to another loss potentially, even if the loss wasn't, even if it was like that, I couldn't get pregnant again, or, you know, at any stage in the game. And I got pregnant and carried full term at a very carefully watched pregnancy. I was, I was scared. I was so scared. I worked really hard to you know forgive myself all the you know catastrophic thinking to allow myself mm-hmm. to just watch those thoughts zoom around in my head and to try and allow myself to be hopeful i found that the hardest thing i found that i couldn't yeah. be hopeful and i didn't i didn't let anyone buy anything for the baby i didn't want a single thing i was like the day we are bringing her home someone can take my credit card and get a car seat that is it <laughs> we're not buying the car seat a moment soon yeah. like i just can't because for me, this that lived experience of like a house full of baby things and no baby was so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I didn't want that to happen, even though, you know, you try and rule out one thing and some other thing is going to happen. But there she was, you know, we, I brought her home and perfect, wonderful, healthy, totally blessed pregnancy, little one. And I found in the first weeks, months, already so normal to have anxiety and postpartum and the up and down mm-hmm. and all kinds of things. And I felt this added layer of triggers and, and grief. And I had some pretty big anxiety attacks and because not only was it, you know, your postpartum stuff, I was being triggered of what my losses were with my sons or, um, mm-hmm. what had happened with my son's first birth, which had been traumatic and when he died. And so it, it just has, you know, even still, it still will bring stuff up. I mean... When she gets sick, if she has a fever or a nosebleed, like I, I really am scared. <laughs> Even though those are normal things, and kids are gonna get sick. Oh, but I just have had to like accept that that's that's me, and mm-hmm. try and accept that that's who her mom is. Like yep. she's gonna grow up with this kind of anxious mom, and you know, sorry, kid, but you know, I'm doing the best that I can. Because sometimes that also just brings up like what I'm missing. I look at her, and you know, she's growing, and she's this little person. And I think about what I didn't get to know or get to see, mm-hmm. you know, with her brothers. And and so sometimes even just in the experience of really so far, this wonderful parenting experience with her also kind of breaks my heart a little, you know, it, it's both yeah. at once. It's this incredible joy, mm-hmm. you know, just remarkable heart bursting joy of having her. And then the totally, you know, normal challenges and exhaustion and crazy making parenting stuff. And then this other sort of heartbreak of, of missing my sons and it's all at once, right? It's this messy mix of all the feelings at once.
1: And I think that's, what's so difficult for so many of us is we feel like it has to be one or the other. And I, and I read a book before I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but it was by a woman named Angie Smith. I, I literally found her blog years ago. I have no idea where she is in the world now, but she wrote a book about the fact that she had found out that her child that she was carrying was not going to make it and still attended a baby shower. In that baby shower, she said, and, and as she held hands with the woman whose baby would live and she carried a baby who would die. And she said, um, she spoke the words and, and that's when grief and joy dance together. And I thought that's makes the most sense because they have to dance together. We can't have one and not have the other. And they don't, they don't I don't know, they're not exclusive of each other. They they do intertwine. Grief does exist within joy, and joy does exist within grief. And and I find a lot of times, and and I want to ask you this, even just for the general stuff, like being a parent can be hard. Do you find it's hard to allow yourself those moments of like, wow, I'm exhausted? Or wow, being a parent of a toddler is literally insanity sometimes. (laughs) Because you've had this different experience of loss, has it been a struggle for you to kind of embrace what is reality as well and kind of honor the feelings within the daily moments? Like if we're talking day-to-day here, some days might be totally out of this world, you know, and and I can imagine you just be like, well, I'm supposed to be grateful. Like this is how have you managed within, you know, that realm of almost forced gratitude or like that toxic positivity because of your past experiences? Because I think that a lot of people have that. It doesn't even have to be about kids. It can be about, you know, that dream job that you cared so much for after being fired from your last one or, you know, these new relationships. And I have an amazing husband now and I still want to complain about when he drops his socks on the floor. Like, I feel like that's my right. But there's part of me that's like, no, because I've had this other past and we minimize, we minimize our now because of our experiences of the past. Do you do that? Do you find you struggle with that? Oh man, yes, yes. I mean, I think there
2: is... I think I I have a perspective, you know, because of those losses where I do feel a a gratitude and an appreciation for where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And I had to also, yeah, kind of nudge myself and say, it's okay to be annoyed with the toddler. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like, it's okay to hate this right now. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I felt exactly what you're describing. I have felt kind of like ashamed or not allowed to be frustrated to be tired Mm. of it because it's like, but she's here and it's not like I'm wishing for the alternative, but of course you're not like you can, you can be annoyed with your husband and and that doesn't mean you don't want your husband. around. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So yeah, it's that, this that dance, that the way of things dancing together, but Mm. I have, I, I have at times found it hard. Like I'm supposed to uphold some kind of vision of, of just being feeling, you know, hashtag blessed all the time. When, of course, there's moments where I'm pulling out my hair and I feel incompetent and I don't know what to do. And she's having, you know, toddler rage and I just, you know, I'm exhausted. Like all of that is there. And, and I've had to practice being like, it's okay to just complain. It's okay to find this annoying. It's okay to not feel absolute love and celebration for my toddler every day. And I can roll my eyes at her when she's not looking like all that normal stuff. Like we have to let those frustrations out. Right. Yes. Um, And that's so beautiful how that description of joy and grief together, because I mean, those are, those are sort of the big emotions, but even in our daily life, there's all these little, this mix of, you know, enjoyment and discomfort. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I often have to envision the pendulum and if sadness is on one end and joy is on the other. And the fact that like it, there's still all the swings in between, there's a lot that happens in the in-between and we kind of highlight our lives off of these highs and lows, but the brunt of it exists in the in-between is kind of this grappling between two points. right? So I really appreciate you speaking on that. Today's show is also brought to you by Function of Beauty. I've been using Function of Beauty for a few months now, and I always know when I love something, when I can see it finally down to those last couple pumps that have proved itself to be worthy of my shower lineup. We've all got goals. Be healthy, find work or a life balance, improve our relationships, but have you thought about your hair goals? Real talk, if you don't love your hair, then you need to break up with your current hair care routine right now it's time to try Function of Beauty instead. Friends don't let friends live with anything less than amazing hair. So think of me as your friend who wants you to be happy and try Function of Beauty. Function of Beauty is the world leader in customizable beauty. This is what's so cool about them. They offer precise formulas for your hair's specific needs. Here's how to get started. First, take a quick but thorough quiz to tell them a little bit about your hair type and your hair goals, such as lengthen, volumize, and oil control. And because your hair changes every season, you can change your hair goals with every shipment. Next, choose your color and fragrance or go fragrance and dye free. Then Functions team determines the perfect blend of ingredients, bottles your formula and delivers it right to you. Every ingredient Function of Beauty uses is vegan and cruelty free and they never use sulfates or parabens. You can go completely silicone free. There are over 54 trillion possible formulations and Function of Beauty has over 50,000 real five-star reviews. Also, Function of Beauty offers completely personalized formulas for body and skincare as well. So you can customize your beauty routine from hair to toe. Never buy off the shelf just to be disappointed ever again. Go to functionofbeauty.com papaya to take the quiz and save 20% off your first order that applies to their full range of customizable hair, skin, and body products. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash papaya. That lets them know that we sent you and get 20% off your order. One more time, that's functionofbeauty.com slash papaya. Now let's get back to today's show. Now, a lot of people listening today will have never experienced divorce or cancer or the loss of a child or two children. And they will be the support people. They will be the ones that have to show up for those. And and I'll say, I'm not going to name her, but there's somebody who I know who just lost an eight-month-old son. And I also know somebody who is going through divorce right now. And, you know, I've got friends who are, you know, or even just social media people. And I feel like, often trapped within. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I assume everyone just wants to be left alone and then I'm like maybe they don't because we all are kind of so individual, but through experiences through so many from childhood cancer and you know into you know your own divorces and loss it has, I'm sure, been so different the ways that people show up. But what would you say to those who who really, because I think this is important that this book and your story is not meant for those experiencing loss. It's also meant for everyone so that they can kind of understand how to be those supports. Oftentimes in life, we only want to hear the stories that we relate to. We only want to listen and lean into spots that make sense in our own life. Even if you're looked at the title of this podcast and you're like, eh, I don't need to, I don't need to learn about grief but your friends might be going through it and you might be the person showing up for them and i think that's incredibly important for us to to navigate. so for you being somebody who's been in it and been in it and been in it and been in it what would you say to those who who truly need to know how to be a better support? Mm, yeah
2: it's i get asked that i mean it's true the book is also meant to be like an insight into what these losses are like but also like a practice yeah. of witnessing like you know you can read my yeah. book and and sit with how you feel about it. If you know nothing about these losses, like, and just practice, Mm. you know, practice witnessing and listening and hearing, hearing a hard story, you know, and seeing what it's like to just sit with that. And I think the things you can do to support someone, you know, like whatever the thing is that you're kind of good at or comes easy to you, like if it's making food or if it's like setting up a spreadsheet to organize other people to make food, or if, or if you're someone who like, well, you know, you're happy to clean or do yard work, or like whatever the thing is that kind of comes easy to you. I say, do it, go to that friend, like, and and do the thing. And depending on your relationship, right, there might be a way that you can ask or say like, but usually for me, I just say, do you know what, I'm going to drop this off. If for any reason that's like totally not okay, let me know. But yeah. I find when people would say to me, if I can do anything, tell me. And when I'm in those immediate days of grief or I'm struggling or depressed, I'm like, I can't figure... That out. I I can't figure out how to ask. I can't figure out what to tell you to do. Like it, it's too much to put on the person who's having a hard Mm. time, I think. So my suggestion usually is just do the thing. Granted, there might be some times where that person is like, that's too much. I don't want it. But I feel like the risk of of that is better than doing nothing. I also think, you know, a text, an email, a card that says I'm thinking of you even a text or a letter that says, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. You are in my thoughts. And, you know, like is, is really, is really meaningful. I think when Mm -hmm. people sometimes try to get into the like, oh, I hope you're going to be okay. Or like, you're going to get through this, but sometimes you don't even want to hear any of that. You don't want to hear the platitudes, but if someone can just say like, I'm thinking of you and that helped me a lot. And one thing that I tell people, it's probably good with divorce too, but it's definitely around losses, is to mark the dates in your calendar, set them up as a yearly reminder, maybe give yourself a reminder a month before. Because while I found there was a lot of support in those first few weeks and months after losses, a year later or two years later, when I'm kind of starting to come out of the shock (laughs) and it's really starting to hit me, That was like when I needed more support and then it was gone because people Mm -hmm. were so ready to rally at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so I always put reminders in my calendar so that I can, you know, send that note or still send a meal or make sure that I check in with that person so that they know I remember. I think there's something like being remembered (laughs) is really powerful. And when people write to me and say, hey, I know it's, you know, almost Emmett's birthday. And I think, wow, it's been 15 years and you remember. Like, of course I'm thinking about it, but it means the world to me that other people do. And so, you know, I put that in my Google calendar. It's not that I'm spontaneously remembering everyone because none of us can do it, but there's tools you can use. And I think that's actually something that can be really powerful. Just like letting people know you remember, letting them know you think about them, try doing something supportive without being asked.
1: You know, I know it can feel like a risk, but I think it's worth it. That is for an anxious person who always feels like she gets too into her thoughts and therefore does nothing. That's exactly what we all need to hear. We need to know that it's almost just, just do the thing and don't demand of the other person. Just, you know, I I liked what you said, like, instead of asking like, what can I do? Just Doing, the, doing something, doing whatever it is that you're good at, creating those reminders. I've I've heard before around loss, like naming that, like naming their child or naming that person, not dancing around it, but like speak their name. Like don't, mm-hmm. I I think because we all are like, oh, we don't want to remind, we don't want to trigger. But as a mother, I'm sure you're just like, I just want them to be present within my life still. Like there's that. And I, I had to read so much about this because of this one person I know going through it. And I just was like, I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And I felt like such an asshole, even like saying like, I'm sorry, like I'm yeah. sorry feels not. It doesn't feel enough. And, and, you know, I kind of had to talk myself into a place of how do I just send a message without knowing it's ever going to be read? And how do I, what, what would I want to hear? What would you're trying to put yourself in a place you don't understand. So I like that you kind of simplified it down to don't try to like, don't try and get there. Don't try and be like, how can I help? What is the thing? Because I can only imagine in that, in the chaos of everything. I mean, even in any season of life, you just have a baby or a life change or divorce, all of these just change in general. You don't often know what you need because you're kind of in it, right? Like you're kind of in that place of like, holy crap, so much is going on. And and even a response to something can feel like a lot. I've noticed even as the days go on and I'm looking at my phone and all of a sudden I'll go to text somebody and I'll be like, oh my gosh, they texted me like the day after I gave birth and I didn't even reply. Like that was so rude. But I'm like, no, that that's just literally, I didn't have the energy to reply. And I think just remembering, you know, those types of moments too, and just not trying to put ourselves in other people's shoes, but instead just demanding as little from them as possible while still showing up is just and and the calendar thing that was so smart. Thank you for that. That was remarkable. <laughs> yeah. I have found it like as someone supporting other people, mm-hmm. I find it really useful because it
2: reminds yeah. me to like send that note. And it's yeah. so true about like hearing the names. I have one friend who on both Emmett and Ford's birthdays, both of my sons, she always sends me a message Saying, "Oh, you know, I'm thinking about you, and I remember seeing you're pregnant, and how exciting it was, and I remember his curly hair, and like, mm. like she just describes the things that she remembers, and yes. it's so beautiful, and it, it, it just it means the world to me when when yeah. she does that, and so I think." yeah, using names, using reminders, you know, a year later, two years later saying like, you know, thinking about your mom, you know, like if you, someone loses a parent, like whatever it is, like, I remember this about her or I remember when you yes. told me this. Like, I I like those things. Again, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's always going to depend a little on the relationship yes. or whatever, but, but it can be a good starting point. And I think, you know, whoever is grieving, whoever's in the middle of that big change, whoever's going through the thing, it's on their mind all the time, right? So mm-hmm. you saying something isn't necessarily going to bring it up because it's probably already there.
1: I've been talking a lot lately about sleep in forms of our wellness and our self-care. We don't talk about it a lot. It doesn't get glamorized very often. In fact, we kind of go the opposite way. We, we have you know, really maximize conversations around exhaustion and feeling hopeless when it comes to sleep. And sleep is one of the three pillars of health. And since 2007, Good Night Sleep site has helped get children on the right sleep track, which can mean a lifetime of restful sleep for your whole family. Whether you have a baby, a toddler, a teen, everyone is giving you sleep advice. I know this firsthand. And it can be hard to sift through the right Sleep information that will work best for your child. Goodnight Sleep Sites certified sleep consultants eliminate the questions and overwhelming information by guiding you through the right sleep plan for your family. All sleep programs from babies to adult are online and private and can be scheduled at your convenience. You are connected to a Goodnight Sleep Site consultant who are all trained and certified through the Family Sleep Institute a certification program that is recognized as one of the few in-depth and extensive certifications in the sleep consulting industry. Request to set up a complimentary 15-minute discovery call where you can connect with a good night sleep site consultant and they can hear more about your child's sleep issues and can explain the best baby to teen program for your specific sleep situation. Also connect with Alana and her team on Instagram at gn. Sleep Site. That's G N S L E E P S I T E. If you feel like you've tried everything or are too tired to figure it out on your own or simply want professional guidance and support, head over to goodnightsleepsite.com to book your complimentary 15 minute discovery call with a goodnight sleep site consultant and start your journey towards sleep success. That's goodnight, N I G H T, sleepsite, S I T E.com. And I hope that you all get a good night's sleep tonight. Now let's head back to the show. Now let's talk about something that I am sure you maybe have a little bit of insight on, and that's pain Olympics. And I see this so often. And that's kind of what I meant when I said I minimize my own stuff. We, We do this thing where we compare each other's pain and we're like, well, at least this. Well, I didn't that. Mm-hmm. And we feel like, I, I remember one time I was listening to Rob Beauty Christie on a podcast and she said she suffers from cluster headaches. These really, really bad, powerful headaches that really cause her to, you know, be in a lot of pain a lot of times. And she's like, it still hurts when I stub my toe. Like that's still valid. It's all valid. Every, like pain is relative, right? And and I think um, a lot of times we're going through stuff. We minimize our own experiences because we know that other people have bigger ones. And we're like, I know it could be worse. I went through it when my son, honestly, I remember just sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. He was diagnosed with a memory disability that impacted, it's going to impact his life really, but not in the worst ways. It's just, it is going to impact his life. And I went through grief. I went through grief for that. And I cried about it. And I remember, I felt like I couldn't talk about it because even as I did immediately, people were like, well, at least he's alive. Like at least he's here. At least it's not cancer. At least it's not this. And it felt so, I felt so small. I felt so silly for crying. I felt so like dismissed almost because I I knew it wasn't the biggest thing. I knew he was here. I knew he was going to be okay. But this still was big for me because this was my baby and something has happened. And now this thing that we've been trying to figure out for years is now there on a piece of paper and it's impacting his life and his world. And I had to grieve it. And I think I put something in my stories. And then I was like, immediately when the messages came in, kind of minimizing it, I like took them down. And I've regretted that because I understand now that we do this thing, this pain Olympics, where we feel like because something could be worse or we compare our pain to each other, you've had the biggest of pains you've had, in my opinion, the greatest of pains. Not only body-wise, you've gone through loss of actual limbs. You've you've survived cancer. You've, you know, gone through divorce and loss of relationship. And you've lost not one, but two sons, two infant sons. Like that is, that is like what feels, like I said, so unsurvivable. How have you found like even now, if you get a headache, like I know, I know we talked about kind of like minimizing our own experiences, but you know, as you see other people struggle and kind of in these pain Olympics, how do we honor our own feelings and our own grief through some of the smaller stuff, some of the more, you know, everyday things or the smaller on the scale of grief without, you know, minimizing ourselves and minimizing other people's experiences. I, I just, I, I feel like you might be a good person to ask this with. <laughs>
2: Oh yeah, I know, I know the pain Olympics. It's funny because I feel like sometimes people won't like share with me what they're going mm. through or what's hard for them because they think I'll 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 see it as meaningless or something. But it actually that that kind of other that's an other ring you know, especially at this point. I mean, of course there's like choose your moment. Sure. But yeah, but (laughs) of course these days I want to be a friend. I want to, I want to hear what people are, I want to hear about someone's bad day. I want to hear about the thing they've learned about their kid that, you know, is a bomb that's gone off in their life. Like those are all normal, regular, hard things and they're important. And I don't want my list of these kind of extraordinary experiences to minimize or overshadow all those other things. I mean, I think there's, um, Brene Brown said, no, uh, no empathetic response starts with at least, you know, like mm. if someone has a miscarriage and you say, well, at least you can get pregnant, like that's a shitty thing to say. It's a shitty right? thing to say. Yeah. Or with your son, like well, at least he's alive. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. That's Thanks. thank you. <laughs> but yeah. like, we don't have to compare it to something yeah. else. We don't have to make it seem like it could be worse. Like, it's a, such a strange, a, a strange common reaction. I think it comes partly from our discomfort with with grief though. Like we don't want to yeah. allow it in these moments unless it's something extraordinary and a, a real tragedy that we're like not allowing us to have kind of just hard feelings because we don't mm-hmm. want there to be hard feelings every day of our life. <laughs> but really there are like, There's hard stuff all the time, little things, medium things. And we need to just be okay with the fact that that stuff is happening at different degrees. And I think a couple things. For one, we all have, like you said, pain is relative. There's gonna be the worst possible thing for someone at some point in their life. And it's gonna be based on who they are and what's happened to them so far. You know? Yeah. We can't ask that person to be at a different time and place. Like, you know so if, if the hardest thing has been you know that they didn't get into you know they didn't get a job that they wanted and they're really struggling with that because that is the biggest hardest thing that's ever happened to them like we we shouldn't put them
1: down for that <laughs> mm-hmm. you know or expect that they have and i think that's what sometimes what we do when we say like the at least i think it's often because we're trying to remind somebody that it's good it's okay like you're you're fine like it, they're not they're not dying like they're not this they're not that And so we're trying to kind of like give comfort and relief. And instead, it just makes you feel silly and small. It's
2: just really denying someone their experience. Like, yeah, we're, we're, we're trying to put someone into a different future spot or, or mm. you know, and just take them out of the present, like whatever the reality is in that moment by saying at least or it could be worse. It's like, well, that doesn't matter yeah. <laughs> because I'm dealing yeah. with this in this moment. And I'm telling you that I find it really hard. And so I think that's like we all need to practice just like receiving someone where they're at and if we look at it and we think, well, that doesn't seem that bad. Well, sure, that's based on your own experience. You you can't, yeah. you're not that person. And if they're telling you this is hard, then it's hard. I think there is, um, have you ever seen that like meme or graphic about um, comfort in and dumping out? You seen this? It's sort
0: of concentric no. circles.
2: I'll, I'll send you the link because okay. I, there is, I think when it comes to when someone is sort of like actively having a hard time, like, you know, we mm-hmm. can look at my list of things and that's hard, but I'm not like currently in a hard place, right? But if it were, you know, the first year after my son died, like, um, or, you know, the the, right after your divorce, like whatever the big thing is, like that's when you are Mm -hmm. at the center of the hard circle, right? So when you're at the center and you're going through something hard, those sort of concentric circles, like the people around you can only ever really put comfort in towards the center of the circle and dump out. So you need to find the people, if you need to vent or if you need to talk about something or process, you don't go to the person who's like at a more concentric circle. (laughs) You Mm. go to the people on like the outer circles who happen to at that point in time, be okay. You know, we're all going to take our turn at different spots. Yes. And it's just this sort of lovely idea of like, because I think there is also like choosing your moment of who you're going to tell certain things, Mm -hmm. you know, but like posting something on Instagram, like it sucks that people like took you down for talking about something like that. But
1: I honestly think they were trying to be encouraging. I honestly think that's what it was. And, you know, it reminds me, I talk about this a lot, but I love the movie Inside Out. Mm. I I love it so, so much because it talks about the honoring of emotions. And I remember being in um, premarital counseling and the pastor was speaking about the fact that, you know, everyone just wants to feel heard and feel validated. And ever since I heard like the, basically that's all we want. We all want to be validated and stuff. So there's certain things I'm not going to, I'm not going to validate your hate. I'm not going to validate your racism. I'm not going to validate, you know, some of those types of judgments. But when it comes to just differences in the way that we kind of express something, or, you know, when somebody's like, I'm really uncomfortable when you talk about that, I'm like, I'm going to just validate that that was uncomfortable for you. Like that's, that makes sense. Like, I understand that that might be where you're coming from. And we kind of can, can find these moments in between, because I think that a lot of times we really do just try and, you know, pacify a situation. The history of why we do that, especially as women is, is grand. Like there is a lot there and it can, even with my own therapist, she'll have to like, she kind of cracks away at me. And then finally she'll be like, what are you scared of? And then it's like, boom, it all kind of comes out. And therapy, I think oftentimes the reason it's so valued and so valuable is because it's somebody sitting there just validating your feelings. It's just somebody there just kind of like, yes, do you understand that's okay? You feel that. Do you understand like, that's you, that's your feelings. You're allowed to honor that. And it's just like this safe space Mm -hmm. to finally feel, to finally have emotion, to finally honor that for two seconds, instead of having the, at least, you know? And I think that that's, when i look back on therapy not to minimize how impactful therapy has been for me because i've got i've learned a lot of tools but i realize a lot of it just comes from a safe space to have those to process to just have feelings and honor them so i love the movie inside out because it talks about the value of sadness that sadness is an essential part of the rest of life it's an essential to joy so to skip around it or to try and avoid it doesn't actually solve the problem. It just creates a greater sadness. It creates the longer stretches between joy and, and kind of finding that. I I know we, I could talk to you literally forever. We're now like 42 (laughs) minutes. Wrap it up, wrap it up. (laughs) No, I tell me about the book. Tell me about, you know, it came out last year, right? Came out in Canada in September and in the States uh, just this month. Wow. Okay. Well, congratulations. Thank That's you. so exciting. I can't imagine like this is, yeah, it, a grief biography, like you said, but, uh, tell me about the book and your hopes for it. I think that anybody even interested in ever writing a book or just even reading one, I, I often like to hear what, what made people put to write it? Like, what is what was your hopes mm. for it? And, uh, you know how you've alchemized kind of your life into something like this this work and so and i know you're an artist you've done this many times you've done it with song you've done it with writing and now you've done it with a actual book so yeah just tell me a little bit about it and uh what you hope to see it do yeah i mean i'm so proud of this book partly just for the task of writing a book, like
2: it's a big job. Mm. (laughs) I I saw someone speak who said, you know, don't write a book unless you absolutely have to, because it is so much work. And so just the the sort of the the task of completing it, I feel very proud of. Mm. But I hope for this book, I hope that it, you know, my hopes are twofold. One, I hope that it reaches people who feel alone and who need to feel seen and heard, who need that sense of like, I get you, I see you. You know, in my early days of grief, there were books, there was songs, you know, that really comforted me and that I got a lot out of and that I felt seen by in a way that I didn't with my my friendships. And that's probably because, you know, friendships are two way. Right. (laughs) And there's like you're saying with therapy, like you kind of get this validation, but it's also like you're the only one talking really. And so with books and with music, there's this way that we can have a relationship that is just ours. And so Mm -hmm. I wanted to give something back. I wanted to add to what's out there to be like, here's another book. Here's another perspective that someone will find and they will have that connection with it, that this book can be a friend to someone. Mm
1: -hmm. And then the
2: second hope is that people who are hoping to witness, hoping to support, or just curious who think, wow, you, you have lost two children and you don't, you've lost a leg. Like, what is that like? Like, I'm like, here, mm-hmm. le- let me tell you, I don't mind telling you. Yes. Um, so it, it's both of those things. I hope that it, it, it like answers some curiosity and, and gives people a chance to learn about an experience they might not know anything about. Mm-hmm. And then otherwise to, to just be there to make a connection for people who need it. Oh, that wasn't,
1: I just, oh my gosh. This is one of my favorite podcasts ever. This has just been such a powerful conversation. I've learned so much from you. I can't thank you enough for sharing this space with me, sharing your story with all of us. I I know there's so many more Places we could have gone because your your expansive knowledge through experience is is vast. So, thank you. That's all I'm going to say is just thank you. Thank you so much. Tell everyone where they can find you. ChristaCouture.com. That's C H R I S T A C O U
2: T U R E. And then, of course, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all of those places, mostly just
1: Instagram at ChristaCouture. <laughs> yeah. You and your killer photo that you did for Nick's. How was that, by the way? Just tell me quick. Like, oh, how was that? Right. It was oh, amazing. it
2: was so fun. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I did this nude uh, modeling for NYX, took it through it all off. It was so empowering. I oh, recommend everyone get their photos done naked. It was just like I gave zero fucks. Yep. I just like <laughs> dropped dropped the robe. I felt so good and so strong. I mean, they're incredible, as you know. Yeah and uh the team was amazing.
1: I, like I know it was like a modeling gig but honestly it felt like a gift. I just felt mm-hmm. totally empowered. I feel the same. It was honestly one of my greatest breakthrough days of all time was being on set for one of those and how terrified I was in that drop the rope moment and you're just yeah. there and it's the most vulnerable because it's not you in control. You you kind of give up that control. You hand your body into this seat into the spotlight and allow other people to show its beauty instead of, you know, what we all do with photos, which is take them and then look at them and criticize them and try and choose the best one. And you give all of that control over to somebody else. And that image, oh my gosh, is just the most stunning. I hope you felt so stunning seeing that picture. (laughs) I felt so good. Oh, just incredible. (laughs) Anyways, I'm such a fan of that, of that shoot as as all of their shoots but that one was a that one was a biggie that's up there for me yeah that whole campaign it was amazing i
2: mean i was one of seven and that
1: whole campaign was is remarkable is wonderful yeah oh so cool well thank you so much again this thank has been uh, such a pleasure and congrats on the book i honestly can't wait to read it i think as somebody who is constantly in the process of trying to be a better human and also prepare myself for, for life. I think this is, I think this is one of those books that will really be life-changing. So I'm really excited for it. So thank you so much. And to everyone listening, go and check it out. How to lose everything by Krista Couture. And I will have everything in the show notes as well. And we'll see you next week.